Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast NFC Training Camp Edition. I'm your host, Ian Hart. It's joining me as always, the one, the only, Dwayne The Rock McFarlane. Dwayne, we just completed AFC training camp storylines. We've already shed the tears for Tim Patrick, which we've gotten confirmation on. So it's a sad day. We talked all about that in our Denver Broncos section. We are moving on to the NFC. 16 teams to talk about. A lot of good stuff. You had your NFC top training camp storyline article go up earlier this week. Might have been late last week. I have dug through a myriad of sources look at that word even pronounced it right i think good job ian bunch of sources getting all the quotes all the relevant stuff i think i can find and now we're conjoining forces to get it done great that'd be great my friend we say it myriad here in texas but myriad? that could just be Damn totally it. wrong it could be totally wrong you could actually be right and so and maybe it's myriad like marriott Hotel. i just complimented I myself for pronouncing a word right but i was actually wrong on the word like, you may not be wrong i'm just telling you like we say things weird in texas sometimes and then i don't know until i go to like some other dialect and i hear it <laughs> it's a good thing we never uh myriad it's a good thing we never cut uh sections of the podcast after we record to we do it once we do it live f it we All do right. it live arizona cardinals Dwayne. one big question what version of James Conner are we getting? Are we getting the 50-50 James Conner or the guy that never leaves the field, James Conner? It could be the difference, Dwayne, between him being the guy we look back on the third or fourth round and we say, yeah, we should have absolutely taken him every time there. Look at the role he has. Or we can look back and say, damn, not quite who I want, not quite who I thought I was taking there in the third or fourth round. Yeah, I think given the state of the backfield, I mean, I think he is what we had last year. I think for me, the bigger question is like, who is the handcuff, you know, to James Connor? Does he even have one? You know, is my question. And the reason why is because we have seen uh, Cliff Kingsbury, even with lesser backups, when he gets an opportunity and there's an injury, he'll just plug someone in. Hell, we saw him like trade for Kenyon Drake in that first week, like give him like an 80% snap rate, like that one year. Um, you know, that very I, I, next I got game. a good staff for you that supports everything let's, let's you're pop saying. It. Do it. Do it. Only only five play callers, Dwayne, have had at least 10% of their games feature a running back having over 90% of the offensive snaps. Steelers, Rams, Vikings, just because Kevin O'Connell came from the Rams, the Cowboys, and the Arizona Cardinals. Whether it's Kenyon Drake, James Conner, Chase Evans for a little bit, even David Johnson, Cliff Kingsbury is fine turning over the entire offense to just one back. And I think that's why this is an important you know question to answer. 
Um, it doesn't doesn't necessarily mean that that's the way it will work out despite all that strong data, just because, you know, I don't know, Daryl Williams is really just kind of a guy. Yeah, he did some nice things with Kansas City, but, you know, he's not a guy that really pops in any of the metrics we care about. Um, you know, so it's hard to get overly excited about him. He was a late signing, um, fairly late, not as late as like some other other backs, but, you know, was not an early signing, right, in free agency. Um you know, Benjamin getting some noise, you know, in camp, you know, getting some love that apparently, you know, used to be in the doghouse. He's out of it. He's staying out of the doghouse. Ian. And like for me, like, Eno is the most interesting one, I think, because he's such, you know, the profile is that he's a potentially really good passing down back. Right. And so that one would scare me the most for James Conner if I heard Eno had won that role, because then you do wonder, well, man, what if they treat Eno kind of like Chase Edmonds last year? And yeah, James Conner came through because of the touchdowns, you know, last year. And he'll still have that role. He's still going to be in a good offense. They're going to play in a plenty of shootouts. So James Conner could still pay off. But at the same time, we would definitely need him to score the touchdowns if all of a sudden the passing down work went over to a player like, you know, Benjamin. Um, Keontae Ingram, a guy that they drafted in the sixth round. So that's another name that we just have to monitor along with Williams and Benjamin. And then lastly, I think one other just kind of sneaky thing, and you brought this up in the past, like, are we hearing anything about Rondell Moore potentially playing, you know, more out of the backfield? So if all of a sudden we hear, well, more and more out of the backfield, um, you know, Benjamin taking passing downs, like those would be the two things that would concern me the most for James Conner. Otherwise, just trying to decipher, is there a back here that we can really, you know, sink our teeth into, you know, and find, you know, see where ADP settles out, but potentially have, you know, someone that could give us, I don't want to say RB1 upside when we look at the list, Ian, you know, but we do know volume is king. But let's at least say someone we'd probably rank in an RB2 range if we knew they had the backfield to themselves. And if they prove themselves to potentially be worth more, like certainly if the volume is there, maybe they end up being, you know, an RB1. So I think that is the biggest one for me. I really have no clue who it's going to be. We may need somebody to be cut. <laughs> to honestly help us with this one. It may not be something we can just truly decipher uh, without that, but certainly we want to try. It is wild that for someone like James Conner, who I think there's decent, like we've had smart injury people, Mario with PFF, Evan Porras with fantasy points, both give him just the highest injury risk, like just a heightened injury risk level uh, compared to other running backs. So it's wild that having someone that, you know, for right or for wrong, a lot of people are concerned about his health. Just really not a clear backup running back at all right now. They did land in my tier five of my uh, handcuff running back tiers that we had a podcast about. The muddle pecking order that makes it tough to basically assess standalone value and handcuff potential. Only other note I would mention in Arizona is that Marquise Brown started off on the NFI list. Apparently hurt his hamstring, maybe his ankle uh, in a pre-training camp workout. He's already back. Cliff Kingsbury said he wasn't expecting to be out long to begin with. Looking like all wheels up for Hollywood Brown. Always good. Never want to see people get hurt. Atlanta Falcons, Dwayne. We can talk about the backfield a little bit. Come on. It's though. It's Cordero Patterson's world. We're all just <laughs> living in it. Better question might be what exactly to make out of the rising second year tight end Kyle Pitts and how he's going to be used. Yeah, so the big thing I want to know here, and again, like the way I chose these, it was hard to choose one, you know, from each team. But if there was something that was more pressing because we know we've got a higher ADP involved, 
knowing that pretty much every league is going to be faced right with a decision around Kyle Pitts. Whereas depending on how deep of a league you are in like Tyler Algier may play in, right? He may not. Damian Williams is probably definitely not playing in for you. Again, we can monitor that situation, but Kyle Pitts, you know, is the number three tight end off the board. And more importantly, you know, he's going in the third and fourth rounds of drafts. So you've got to spend some capital to get your arms around inviting Kyle Pitts onto your team. And so, what I would really love to know, and I, I think, look, we've talked about Pitts. He's a great profile. He actually played outside and receiver. Only 51% of his targets last year came against linebackers or safeties. That's absurdly low for you know a tight end. Like We've seen Tyler Lockett see more targets against linebackers and safeties than what Kyle Pitts got to do last year. That's and wild. so when you think of, yeah, when you look, when you think <laughs> about Pitts and what he can do, man, Ian, he's, he's a mismatch against linebackers and safeties. He already scored over an 80 PFF receiving grade, though, basically playing receiver. So that tells you how good this guy is. He should be in your top three tight ends probably no matter what. Not even probably. He should be in your top three tight ends no matter what. But if they move him inside, they did draft Drake London, and you know maybe they let London play more outside. Who knows? They might play London a slot for all I know. I can't read Arthur Smith's mind, but if we can see more inside opportunities for Kyle Pitts, we've seen Marcus Mariota support an elite tight end in the past and Delaney Walker who's put up some huge points and it's just the mismatch Ian like if he gets inside and gets to play against the linebackers and safeties I think Kyle Pitts like moves to nine. I think he'll be the tight end one in all of fantasy football if they use him that way if they don't I still think you're getting a top three option but it's more about opportunity costs right because there are other players going in that range you may really like it's also in a point in the draft where you may really need a running back there's some different things that could be going on so i'm still definitely going to be drafting kyle pitts but man if we hear that he's playing more in line getting to play inside from the slot is potentially to the moon for pitts we talked about in the tight end strategy edition where once you get into the muddled wide receiver two range you're looking at guys that you can argue have a pretty similar overall projection to Kyle Pitts. Only the thing is, we're still calling, we're still going through with a bit about Kyle Pitts being a tight end. So we need to make the most of it. Hopefully the Falcons go all in and actually use him more like the position they are designating him to be. Only other major note out of Falcons camp is that Auden Tate is a complete baller and makes one great catch after another every day. Hopefully gets more and more of that opportunity in the preseason and beyond. Dwayne, got a little Carolina Panthers chatter. Christian McCaffrey looking good, looking fresh, looking healthy out there. He's just uh, going to get hurt, Ian. That's true. I mean, <laughs> on you know, it was, uh, DraftKings week one prices are out, uh, which is always a fun, always a fun uh, little day in the summer. And McCaffrey, 8,500. I, I know we don't have the biggest DFS uh, listener base here, but like, McCaffrey's someone that can be 10K plus every single week yes. just based on his receiving prowess in full PPR scoring like DraftKings. And uh, I was saying like, you know, 8,500 in this economy and Adam Levin. I'm projecting comes- 60, 60% roster ship right away. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Adam Levinson came in and goes, "Are you kidding me? He's just going to get hurt. I won't even roster him for thirty five hundred. Like that's <laughs> that's what we're getting to uh, at this it. point with McCaffrey. But okay, Dwayne, let's lean into it for a second. Everyone's so smart. McCaffrey is going to get hurt. I guess we got to kind of ask similar questions as we did about James Conner. Who the hell's the backup? Yeah, that's the biggest question here. Um, you know, who's going to be the backup? Like, uh, we've got questions at quarterback. Yeah, we get the upgrade with Baker, um, but we know Robbie and, you know, DJ Moore are really kind of penciled in as the top two guys. CMC, you know, is going to probably get 18 to 20% of the targets. So 
I thought about Terrace Marshall and some of those other guys, like because they could run a lot of eleven personnel. But at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, this is still the bigger question. Like, so if we're going to have an issue and people think McCaffrey is going to be is injury prone, even though his injuries have been uncorrelated to the based on the people that you and I like to listen to to try to make ourselves smarter, it is worth knowing like who we think that's going to be. And so Deontay Foreman is who they brought in, you know, over the off season. He actually did a nice role last year filling in for Derrick Henry. Even had a nice receiving grade, but it really was on limited work, right? We saw, you know, really more Dontrell Hilliard handling the passing down work um, and Foreman not necessarily taking over everything. So the thing I would want to know about Deontay Foreman, because you can get him late, like basically at the end of your drafts for nothing, I would like to know, is he going to, is he working on passing downs at all? Like, you know, so great. We probably know he's going rotate, to rotate in as the number two. We have to make sure it's not Chuba. Chuba Hubbard is still around. But let's assume we hear Foreman is, you know, really backing up McCaffrey. Okay, that's step one. But then step two is, well, is he also going to get the passing down work? Because the problem becomes on an offense that could trail early and often. We've talked about this before. The early down back is problematic. You know, you don't want a player that only gets to be out there on first and second down that plays in close games or leading scripts whenever you're dealing with a team that could honestly have as many losses as any other team in the NFL. You know I mean? I think the, the Panthers are at least in that conversation. There's scenes, there's things that we can like about the Panthers, but right now that's what Vegas thinks, you know? So I think that's what we want to understand. You know, is it a situation where it's truly, and obviously they're going to use Foreman differently. He's not going to run down the field routes like McCaffrey. It doesn't mean, Oh, well, he's now Christian McCaffrey, but we just want to know, can he be on the field all the time? Because if he's just going to be the early down option, it's just not something to be that interested in. Big storyline, obviously, out of the Carolina Panthers camp right now, just as the ongoing quarterback competition between Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold. And it really does seem to be completely wide open. The Panthers have clarified that they're rotating, you know, reps with the one throughout each and every practice. From what the beat reporters are saying, Baker is more willing to throw downfield as we could have expected. We will see who ultimately wins that job. My money would be. What does it do? What does it do to you if if Sam? It's kind of like what we talked about on the AFC pod, right? With Mason Rudolph, if he somehow wins that job, what does that tell us? Like, if Darnold wins it, are we just not going to be that concerned and just chalk it up to Baker still trying to catch up, learn the offense? Sam Darnold's got a lead, and eventually it's just going to be Baker. Or do we get more worried because DJ Moore has moved up to basically DJ Moore's a third round pick now in fantasy yeah. drafts. I mean, he was still going like fourth. It wasn't that big of a jump for him. For DJ Moore. Right. I mean, I, he didn't yeah, well, he's going, he's, it's, it's about a round jump now. He's, okay. he's going almost a full round ahead of where he was. Uh, and I can't, I can't speak to every site, but I know for sure over on FFPC, it's right around that. Thanks at fantasy mojo. And then also over on, I don't have underdog up right in front of me, but I know he's towards the end of the third round, maybe sometimes mid third round on underdog. So He might not have moved quite as much there, but still, again, when you look at the receivers, other receivers that go in round three, like there's higher opportunity costs. When you get to round four, there's several other guys we have questions about. But in the third, um, yeah, the, the questions may start, but still we feel pretty good about Michael Pittman, right? We feel, yeah. you know, A.J. Brown at least is an elite talent. So I don't know. I think it'd be, you know, in one word, uh, panic if Ronald beats <laughs> out Baker. I mean, it's like it's like what you said, uh, like what if Mason Rudolph beats panic. out Mitch Trubisky? Like that's a panic situation. Fire in the streets. Well. I yeah, mean, okay. it reminds me of like, you know, less accomplished members here, but like Cam Newton versus Jared Stidham. Like it was just one of those things where I couldn't wrap my mind around Cam ever losing that quarterback competition. That's kind of how I feel with Baker versus Darnold. I would be shocked if Baker does not start at least half the season. 
We'll see, though. Maybe the answer is just no, Dwayne. Maybe that's what we've yeah. learned about these guys over the years. Let's talk another terrible team, actually, the Chicago Bears. What is going to happen in this offense that, on paper, looks objectively terrible? And the Bears realize that. They have gone seemingly out of their way to not surround Justin Fields with a great group of pass catchers. No disrespect to any of the guys that are there. He's going to have to make the most out of it. But go look at their signings that they made this offseason and who they had to get out. And okay, the Khalil Mack, Allen Robinson. I understand this is a rebuilding phase, but my goodness, Dwayne, if they're not going to surround Justin Fields with great wide receivers, maybe the least they can do for him is give him some better play designs. Yeah, and that was a big challenge last year with Matt Nagy. Um, you know, we've already talked about Fields in the past and in his last healthy starts. Hey, it was actually already a QB1. You know, he had some really nice QB1 finishes. Um, but the real challenge last year, um, he only handled 8% of the Bears' design rushing attempts when he was healthy starting. So that's not me just saying, oh, that's his percentage of the whole team for the year. No, that's when he actually started. And so you look at Jalen Hurts. He had 23% by comparison. Lamar Jackson had 24%, you know, when he was out there starting by comparison. So he's not getting used nearly the way we would want to see someone with his profile. However, now you move to Matt Eberflus. You move to, uh, why is my mind going blank on the coordinator? Luke Getze, you know, who comes over from the Packers. We don't know a ton about, like Luke Getze's never called the plays, you know, for the Packers, but comes from, you know, really more of a balanced type offense. And, you know, having, the legs with Justin Fields like you have to think Ian like that they're going to get him more involved but I would love to hear some confirmation of that because if Fields can be more involved like those other guys honestly yeah you're still going to keep Trey Lance above him because Trey Lance you know flashed even a little more last year in that department very limited folks very limited sample you got to be careful with Trey Lance but he does really have the weapons. He's got Kittle. He's got Debo Samuel. He's got Brandon Ayuk. And, you know, we trust Kyle Shanahan overall, right, to run a quality offense. So, yeah, Lance should definitely be going ahead. But to me, like, people are just completely forgetting about Justin Fields. You know, he's sliding into the round 15, you know, sometimes six rounds after someone like Trey Lance goes. And I think people still have to recognize that he could be an arbitrage play on some of these other dual threat quarterbacks. And we've seen these dual threat quarterbacks do it in the past when they haven't had a ton of weapons around them because the rushing volume is really so important and the rushing yards are just huge. So typically if you can get to the 700, 800, you know, rushing yard mark, it's just super hard to not finish in the top 12 fantasy back of uh, top 12 fantasy quarterbacks. And so that's just a situation where I feel like that's in Fields' range of outcomes, but let's get some confirmation that we actually think they're going to utilize him better than what Matt Nagy did last year. And you're not wrong, Dwayne. 11 of 12 signal callers to get at least 125 carries in a season went on to post top 12 fantasy production on a per-game basis. So we're not just rewarding the quarterbacks that had 16 starts and racked up these carries. Literally, 2020 Cam Newton, who what was the QB 17 I think probably even a little better, I think, than we remember that season. But unfortunately, I would probably compare the receivers Cam Newton was working with to what Justin Fields is going to be having to deal with in Chicago. But man, even that QB 17, that's about where Justin Fields is going right now. Good example of a quarterback we can draft far closer to his floor. Then, to your original point, his demonstrated ceiling of already being a QB1 in each of his last four extended appearances. Do we care at all? about the fact that Velas Jones seems to be a number two wide receiver. Dwayne doesn't look like Byron Pringle. It looks like Velas Jones is capturing that number two spot. Got some speed. Yeah, he's 25 years old. As far as I can see, though, Dwayne, I've looked at the rules across multiple fantasy sites. I think 
a touchdown to Belis Jones still counts the same as a touchdown to everyone else in the league. I thought it was a 20% discount, like if you're 25 <laughs> or older as, an, as a rookie. But no, man. Um, you know, and I know I gave Velas a hard time on draft day. But at the end of the day, you know, the Bears spent a third-round pick, you know, on him. And it was really just around his age, you know, such a late breakout. All those things. Anyway, we don't have to rehash them. But to your point, like, he could be the number two option. And here, here's the other thing. And, and look, folks, in your in your home leagues, you're probably not drafting him. Like, no. if you're playing in a sharp draft and you want to spend a late-round pick at the end and maybe you have fields on your team, I think at that point, especially in redraft, like where you can cut him later – why not, you know, give it, you know, give it a little whirl in round 20, because that's all you got to spend on him. Um, and again, like we talk about playing to fields as strengths, another strength would be letting him uncorks, uncork, you know, some deep stuff, you know, and it looks like that's what they brought Jones there to do. And Pringle's going to be more the underneath type guy. Maybe they, they'll bring him in in three wide sets, you know, and let him play some slot, do some different things. And really Mooney, um, even though he profiles as being someone that could take the deep shots, really has kind of been more the short and intermediate game player. Um, so I think those are things that when we think about what the Bears could do, trying to be a more efficient offense and do more with less, because to your point, they don't have a great receiver room. It's through efficiency. Let Justin Fields run more, use more play action, stretch the field, let him hit some of these shots, you know, to a deep receiver. So, yeah, I I am coming around, I think, especially at the price tag that you can get it. I I can be supportive. Hard it's. Dwayne, you wrote this, uh, again, lovely article talking about the top training camp storyline for every NFC team a couple of days ago. So did not have this new news in there about James Washington, maybe fractured his right foot. They're expecting it to, they're saying it could be a Jones fracture confirmed, or I'm sorry, could be out six to 10 weeks per Todd Archer. Adam Schefter has also backed up the report. So yeah, James Washington, not someone that we were expecting all that much out of, but someone that certainly looked like he could start in week one after we got kind of confirmation that Michael Gallup is confirmed out for week one. So Dwayne, the question now becomes, what the hell is going on in Dallas behind <laughs> CeeDee Lamb? Reminder, only the Cleveland Browns have more available cap space at this moment in time. Yet Jerry Jones comes out and says, no, you know, they're not they're not going to, they don't feel an immediate rush to go add a veteran wide receiver. Who the hell is the wide receiver to in Dallas? Yeah, I think right now we have to assume that it's Jalen Tolbert, who really you and I were higher on anyway, right? Than yep. James Washington. James Washington got to play for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Good step. You got drafted by a team that often drafts really good receivers, but bad second step in, in the process there, which is when you can't break out with the Steelers. Eh, can you break out? Like, I don't know. Like, because they're so good at picking them. It's just, and like, that's probably not fair, right, to some of these guys. But we get so used to seeing these players for the Steelers be really good. When one isn't, it's like, oh, man, this guy's cooked. And so with Washington, we didn't really expect that much. We thought maybe he gives you a little bit early in the season while Gallup still tries to come back because we know he's not going to be ready for week one at this point. So I think it's easily Tolbert. I think the question is what happens with his ADP? Because, I mean, still, as much as we like him, he's a third-round draft pick. And, Ian, did you know he plays for the Cowboys? What pick? was Jalen Tolbert overall in the NFL draft. You have to pick one number that he could be, and you're thinking of the word wide receiver for Dallas. Oh, it was 88? Yeah, he was picking. Hell yeah. <laughs> so maybe that's a God wink or something. I don't know, something. <laughs> so there's always a chance with that, but I just want to see what happens with the ADP because we had been getting you know Tolbert earlier in the offseason, round 15. Then it snuck up to round 14. Then over the last few weeks, it's been round 13, 12, which is about where I'm like, I'm comfortable, you know? But if all of a sudden we got to push him into round 10, now you're going to be looking at taking him over Garrett Wilson. Now, who's a first round pick, man. 
I, I get it. You know, you get to play in Dallas, but a first round pick, early first round pick versus a third round pick. There's just a difference in the talent profile. You're going to have to take him, you know, over Rondell Moore. You're going to have to take him. You know, so it just depends on where he gets. Like we're in a, you know, uh, we're in some of these chats with other, you know, cool people on Twitter, like that, you know, are in our community. And like one of the things I saw in one of those chats today. So is, is Tolbert an eighth round pick now, man, if that happens, I'm out. Like it's just going to be, it's going to get too high. Cause now you're having to take him over Traylon Burks. Um, you're going to have to potentially take him, you know, that's the same time Drake London goes. So that would be too high. I think if he stays in that round 11, 12 range, it could be okay. And I still think Dallas has to sign someone no matter what Jerry says. Um, and I think another thing to think about, and you may have mentioned this in the past, but how do you feel about X player on a team? If all of a sudden tomorrow they sign Will Fuller, you know? Um, so for Tolbert, what does that do to you as someone drafting, you know, that's something you got to ask yourself because that's going to tell you how high you're willing to take Tolbert. But if you think he's extremely fragile and all of a sudden you wouldn't take him until round 14, if they sign Will Fuller tomorrow, you probably shouldn't take him in round eight. You need to really be confident in his, in his talent profile as a third rounder to take him that soon. Aaron Wilson has reported that veteran free agent wide receiver Will Fuller is being monitored by multiple NFL teams, but is regarded as more likely to join a team later in the preseason. I'm just happy that like we know that Will Fuller plans on playing football because my goodness, man, like there just has not been hardly any information about what this dude's plans are. We talked about it a bit in the Cleveland Browns, uh, you know, Deshaun Watson emergency podcast already. Dwayne, my question becomes, Who's going to, who are going to be the Cowboys? Again, you have five offensive linemen, you have Dak, you need five skill position players on any given play. We know Zeke's going to be one of them. We know CeeDee Lamb's going to be one of them. Okay. We know Dalton Schultz is going to be one of them. Give Jalen Tolbert the other spot. That's fine. Are you telling me they're going to keep, keep Tony Pollard off the field for Noah Brown or TJ Vasher or rookie tight end Jake Ferguson or Cavante Turpin, who USFL MVP, I love, but this is this lucky whitehead 2.0. The dude doesn't even weigh 160 pounds. Like, this is where it gets interesting, Dwayne, because Noah Brown's bit, they use him as like an H-back wide receiver hybrid. Like, we're talking about rookie tight ends now and fellow hybrid players that could keep Tony Pollard off the field. We talked about this in the AFC storyline thing already, so I don't need to talk about it for another 10 minutes here. But my God, man, if there was ever... Ever at one time where maybe just maybe the running back in the slot narrative actually works out. Why can't this be it? Can't a man dream, Dwayne? I want this to happen so bad. I'm not stealing your dream. It's fine. You can have it. I, I, I mean, I agree. Like Dallas needs it. It's just like we just haven't really seen it. It doesn't play out linebacker, you know, running backs playing, you know, wide receiver. But to your point, if there ever was a season like now is the time. I just like to be careful with that kind of stuff because it also just makes it really easy, honestly, just to basically reinforce why we think his ADP is okay. You know, so if Tony Pollard is going to be a six round pick. I'm, I'm not taking him just because the opportunity costs are too high. If he's still, you know, if he's a, which that's where he is in sharp, you know, in some of the high stakes type stuff right now, you know, he's going to end around six. So like, there's too many other things I like there. If he is a late seventh, I'm much more fine with that. Like I'm fine grabbing Pollard and then coming, you know, with Kareem Hunt in the next round and in having both players. Um, but if it's a situation where I got to take him in the six, it's just a little more tricky because the quarterbacks we love there, you got tight ends that go in round five that we love. And so like when I think about optimal roster constructions, you got to get, you just need to think ahead. If you're going to take Pollard, not telling you not to look, we love the talent, the talent profile for Tony Pollard is amazing. No one on anywhere is going to argue. Well, maybe someone I'm sure somewhere will argue, but 
not on this show, right? We're not going to argue that Tony Pollard could be an awesome player. Just get him out there more. So yeah, if you want to make a bet on the talent, it just comes down to what happens with this ADP. Last year, Dwayne, how many touches do you think Tony Pollard had per game? Uh, I don't know off the top of my head. Um, 11.3. I mean, we're not that far away from getting 15 touches a game already, man. I just, ooh. I, I, I look at this more and more like how come we have these discussions and it, it could be baked into just where he's going. It could be that simple. AJ Dillon, Kareem hunt. Like why can't Tony Pollard be in that same sort of conversation? I don't think their projected touches are, I don't think it's impossible that Pollard. He, sh- he should be in this conversation with cream. That's my problem is that he goes two rounds ahead of the people he should be in the conversation with. You can make the argument for AJ Dillon. Um, but I think AJ Dillon has a similar you know, kind of challenge. He's a player we like having access to, but you got to spend a pretty significant pick. You know, he has a different challenge, right? He may not catch any passes. Um, you know, whereas Pollard's issue is can, you know, he get enough rushing attempt, man, they just need to let Pollard be the passing down back. Like that solves everything. Then you got to worry about, can he play slot? Can he do all this stuff? Cowboys just let Tony Pollard play your two minute offense problem solved. And then he would be, I would love Tony Pollard. And here's the thing you can argue that has to be in the range of outcomes. I would think that is the more likely route. The Cowboys are forced into needing to get weapons on the field, and it's at the expense of Zeke on passing downs versus him playing the slot. And so either way, he has outs to get there. But my big challenge is what we we said. Look, Cream Hunt goes in round seven, round eight. Um, we get um, you know Chase Edmonds round seven, round eight. Sometimes even slips a little bit further. And then you get attack on like, okay, well, we love the quarterbacks in round six. We sometimes you get an elite a tight end that slides in round five. Also in home leagues, like you're drafting Cortland Sutton in round five. Maybe not anymore after the work as the news with Tim Patrick today. But in home leagues, you're getting Mike Williams in round five right now. Still, now those things could change, right? As ADP tightens as we get closer to the season, that might change. You know, some of the equation for me. But man, there's just so many things that like I'm not taking Tony Pollard over Cortland Sutton or Mike Williams, no matter what. Like I'm just not even in a fire. Um, so that's the big challenge that I have. If he if he were going. Where those other backs go, I would liberally mix him. I would liberally mix him in, just like I'm taking them. I have him above those players in my ranks. Yeah, you know. So, yeah, I will say this too, and I'm sure there are Cowboys fans that probably angrily turn this off. Well, they can't take Zeke off the field on pass downs. He's too good of a pass blocker. Zeke only had two games last season, two out of 18 games where he pass blocked for more than six snaps in a single game. Like this is one of the biggest fallacies of fantasy football is this idea that these running backs are constantly being kept on the field to pass block on average for the league. Ian over the last three seasons, running backs stay in to block only 23% of the time on passing plays, obviously. Duh. I mean, why do I even need to clarify that? Because I'm an idiot. But anyway, uh, (laughs) 23% of the time. Um, And then you have some teams that are a little less or more than others, but like, it's not a huge range. Like you may have one team around 18% and run one like around 26%. But at the end of the day, it's only one out of four times or dry. And guess what? I isolated this to truly what a defense would think is passing down. So it had to be third or fourth down with at least three plus yards to go. So this, we're not just talking any situation. We're talking when the team is actually going to be throwing the ball and the defense knows it like, so which invites the blitz, right? Invites man coverage and those sort of things. Even then, like it's not, it's not like it's 50% or something. It's in the, it's in the low 20% range. 
And Zeke's incredible as a pass blocker. I remember Urban Meyer who, yeah, okay. I, Urban Meyer has done a few good things in the game of football in the past. When Zeke was leaving Ohio State, like Urban said, Zeke was the best player he'd ever coached without the ball in his hands because of how just much of a badass blocker he was. Hell, the last time we saw him play football, that blitz pickup he had against the 49ers uh, to set up Dak on that third down conversion was freaking incredible. But, man, it's like, look at Washington. Like, do you think J.D. McKissick is just on the field because he's better at stepping up into the A-gap than Antonio Gibson? Like, <laughs> I really doubt it. There's about a 30-pound weight difference in there. So we I should th- pull up the film real quick, and we'll see. No. Pull up the film <laughs> I'm with you. Quick, yeah. I'm with you. And, look, I'm not, I'm not pretending like well, I just – To your point, Ian, like, if – People look at PFF pass blocking grades, and I like our pass. I like our grades, Dwayne, but I I get so tired of people acting like they're pass blocking experts when they just pull up that one random (laughs) ass grade about this. What are we doing here? We're on the same page. And I think to your point earlier, the one easy way you just get Pollard out there on passing downs. And if you, if you're struggling, you know, uh, with who your receivers are, I don't know, put Jake Ferguson out there and let the rookie block be the extra blocker and let Pollard run around from the backfield. I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can slice this at the end of the day. If I'm an offensive coordinator and I got third down and five and it's like one of the first three games of the season, like Pollard probably should be in a route, <laughs> you know? So, I mean, I, I totally agree with you on, they need to get him more involved. I think the better path is probably letting him play passing downs think that about covers the Cowboys. Let's talk a little Detroit Lions. Not a ton of stuff out of camp. They did sign Justin Jackson. That was good to see. Obviously talented backup Chargers running back for the last few years. He now projects as the probable RB3, maybe the RB4. We did get a fun Dan Campbell comp, DeAndre Swift to Alvin Kamara. Love seeing that. But Dwayne, you're a little more concerned actually about our, our resident sun god there in Detroit. Will Amon Ross St. Brown remain on the field in two wide receiver sets? Yeah. So, you know, I have these players that I love, but I want to still remain like wide eyed, you know, about them. And like, when I say wide eyed, that seems like super excited. So yes, that too, but eyes open, right. As to what may happen with their role and just, and again, Amon Ross St. Brown is someone that we love in the fifth round of drafts. And if we want to, you know, we're recommending him like in the fifth and sixth round of drafts, like he's great. But at the same time, like we just want to do our due diligence here, because when you look at Amon Ross St. Brown, you know, last season down the stretch, also a part of what occurred is he started playing outside and inside. So he was staying on the field really almost all the time. And so what we need to understand is in two wide receiver sets, is Amon Ross St. Brown still out there? Is he going to be like the Z? And then you've got, you know, Chark, maybe later in the will in the year, Jamison Williams, you know, Josh Reynolds is another archetype kind of similar to those guys, you know, not quite as talented, but is it something where Amon Ross is going to be out there in those two wide receiver sets? Because if not, like Detroit does have the capability to kind of run a lot of different, you know, they could want to be multiple on offense. I mean, they may not run 11 personnel, you know, 80% of the time, maybe you see them do that as they really get healthy and you get Jamison Williams back. Like it would make sense, but this is Dan Campbell, man. Like he, he wants to establish it. Like he wants to be, you know, tough. He, he like, he's all about the mentality of the team. So I think, and look, and he loves him on Ross St. Brown. And he talks about all the things that he does outside of catching passes and what a great blocker he is and all those things. So I still feel good that he's going to be out there, but if we were able to decipher, that wow, Amon Ross St. Brown is really only going to be a slot receiver as good as he was last year. Like it would give you a little bit of pause because if all of a sudden you're only out there for 60% of the pass plays, even if you're really awesome, like that can hurt you. So we want Amon Ross out there 80% plus of those snaps and uh, passing routes if we're going to be taking him in the fifth round. Again, 
I feel good about it, but it's something to monitor. After every practice, Amon Ross St. Brown catches 201 passes in the jug machine. He also hurdled a man in one-on-one -on -one tackling drills, if those things help your opinion on him. There was a good article on The Athletic by Nick uh, Baumgartner and Colton Pouncey, where they basically just outlined the starting uh, Lions offense. Like, this is exactly what we're looking for from our lovely beat writers. And yeah, looking like DJ Chark, who we knew, but also Josh Reynolds are the established top two outside wide receivers in Detroit right now did mention DeAndre Swift hoping to put forth his most productive season yet. Good things, good things, good things. Meanwhile, Jamal Williams, perhaps the class clown of this team, looks jacked and ready to rumble up the middle. This really, man, like, Dwayne, there's a chance if the Lions do exceed expectations like people expect them to, like, Jamal Williams could just be, oh, my God, look how good Swift is. Wait, Williams had two more touchdowns? Like, this could just be... <laughs> One of those, it could be like early season Cardinals last year, like James Conner for large portions of last year, like he averaged 3.7 yards per carry. He wasn't blowing people away with what he was doing. Yeah. He had the sick one-handed touchdown later. He did some good things later in the season, but for a while, man, like it was just really frustrating for Chase Edmonds owners because he could not find the end zone. Do not sleep on Jamal Williams. He continues to go far late and far too late in drafts. And with hard knocks coming up, I don't think that's going to be lasting any too fear at much all longer. With Justin Jackson, Ian? No. Okay. Yeah, I'm no. on the same page. But, you know, it's a question we have to ask ourselves. And we like Jackson. But, yeah. like, the, the stylistically, like, the way the two players play, right, it's Jamal Williams and, and DeAndre Swift. Where I could see Justin Jackson potentially, you know, helping, you know, potentially capping a little bit of Jamal Williams is if DeAndre Swift went down right? Then does Justin Jackson carve out a little bit more of a role? Because we have seen him, you know, do some nice things in the past. He struggled to stay healthy. Um, but I still think that Williams will still see a bump in that scenario, but maybe not, maybe not a full on every down roll if Jackson can still help alleviate, you know, some of the passing down stuff. I think Jackson's just there as competition for uh, Godwin. I can't pronounce your last name. So another AFC. There you go. <laughs> I don't know if that's right. I just I think I just basically said <laughs> Albert O's last name. Sorry. <laughs> just for any difficult last name, say Albert O's uh, last name and just roll with it. Okay. Next NFC North squad, the Green Bay Packers. Would note that Robert Tunyon still on the pup list. Sammy Watkins is back to practice after starting on the NFI list. Christian Watson, though, low-key offseason knee surgery. He remains on the pup. And, Dwayne, you're just wondering, with all this kind of going on, can one of these rookie wide receivers lock down a starting role in a wide-open offense? Yeah, and so when, I, when you look at it, like, to your point, the pecking order is just wide open. I don't need to go on an Alan Lazard rant like i already need to like you know send alan lazard like you know some sort of nice card and like a bouquet like some it's nothing some yeah, it's, not, it's nothing against you know him um but there's it doesn't really look like there's anybody that can just step forward right and just demand a huge target share here that just means that it's probably going to be spread around more and if i'm looking at that like could christian watson or romeo Dobbs, like could they step up and do it um you know samori Toure, I think is the name, the seventh round pick that they took. Like, so there's a lot of different guys here just to keep an eye on. We're just going to have to see, you know, does, is someone able to step forward, right? And lock down an, a role opposite of Lazard. I do think Lazard's going to be out there all the time. I have no doubt about that. Um, it's just a matter of how many targets can he demand? 
I think that's where the question comes in for him. So Lazard, he deserves to to be, you know, like fine if you want him to be the first, you know, wide receiver off of the Packers offense, but just make sure you're not reaching too far. And for me, like if I can get Christian Watson right now, um, it's, you're getting a major discount based on the pup stuff. And so while he's sliding, you know, he's he's a guy that's worth a stab. And then, you know, Romeo Dobbs is another player that's moving yeah. up in ADP. Uh, you know, Ian, you were the, I've, I've even defended you on Twitter and it's funny. Like I've had like, you know, some of the, uh, you know, the, uh, the Debbie community, like I, I've told him, I said, look, Harditz has already been on this for at least <laughs> like two months, you know, joking. And then, you know, you get the serious things. I've been on him for two years, man. <laughs> Harditz ain't nothing, you know? <laughs> and I hope I didn't piss everybody off cause I was totally joking, but I responded with, listen, you know, nobody listens to, you know, Debbie takes. It's like, kind of like the tree that falls in the forest. If no one's there to hear it, does anyone know? Like, no, they don't know. And of course we're kidding. Love the Debbie community and these folks figuring out these things about these players way early. And so whenever they come into the league, we can look at all their research and see how well it stacks up. So that was totally a joke, but yeah. When we look at the offense, it's just a matter of like these guys you can get late, man. So I think they're definitely worth, you know, dart throws in the late rounds of your drafts. Hey, I've been up front, man. Lifelong Romeo Dobbs fan for months. Like that's been my <laughs> that's been my saying from the beginning. Yeah, I dude, like the Devi community, like some of these people in those uh like CCB leagues, like it, it's just absolutely ridiculous the amount of time that goes into trying to know all those freaking college football teams and the high school recruits and all this. My goodness. So yes, yep, to those folks that do that. <laughs> Hey man, they can make it happen. So yeah, and I honestly, Joanne, I've, I've had a couple. Uh, I've done a couple puppy drafts over at Underdog. I've got a little more Aaron Rodgers. It's, it's interesting where he's kind of sliding to at this point. QB fourteen over at Underdog. You don't even necessarily need Lazard. Like I, I know, I know, Joanne, you don't need Lazard, but it's one of these situations where like. You can stack Rodgers way cheaper than Mahomes even. Like Mahomes, other wide receivers, Sky Moore and MBS are at least going in the wide receiver four range. Romeo Dobbs and Sammy Watkins are like outside the top 70. Randall Cobb's there in the very last round. Robert Tunyon is sliding down drafts because he's still on the pup list as well. You know, it's still Aaron freaking Rodgers. And if the other side pieces aren't going to cost nearly as much as they are in Kansas City, Again, just something to think about in the later rounds of drafts. It's an awfully cheap stack you can now make with Aaron freaking Rodgers. Still might mean something. And Dwayne, like I, I've gotten Aaron Jones in these drafts. I'm able to stack him with Aaron Rodgers. I think that could be yeah, I like that a sneaky one too. move. So. That actually might be my favorite one. Yeah. So. Los Angeles Rams. How will the backfield split between Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson look? Dwayne, you asked this question last week, and we actually got some good information on this today, courtesy of the always great Jordan Rodriguez over with The Athletics. So Jordan wrote the following. Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson, the Rams' two most veteran running backs, are splitting first-team snaps pretty evenly so far. It's tough to tell without real contact how they will fare when the season begins, but so far, both look explosive and healthy. They are also clearly going to be a factor in the passing game quote from Sean McVay. I look at it as we've got two starting backs. Those guys are great compliments to one another, but I see them as both starting caliber players. We need to get them involved. They need to be on the field. I think it's healthy for them to be able to supplement one another. Interesting words from Sean McVay, given that he's historically been more willing to use one workhorse back more than pretty much any other coach outside of Pittsburgh. You're looking you know, at the study I did on the workhorse running backs. I mean, last year alone, man, it was like Najee Harris, he had 11 games with 90% of the offensive snaps, which was easily number one in the NFL. But the bigger takeaway for me, because we know Najee's a workhorse running back. Yeah, Najee Harris, 11 games with at least 80% of the offensive snaps last season. But there was 
five running backs tied with five such games. Jonathan Taylor, Alvin Kamara, David Montgomery, and then Daryl Henderson, Sony Michelle. Even last year, man, this wasn't Daryl Henderson, Sony Michelle splitting. It was the Daryl Henderson show until he got hurt. And then it was the Sony Michelle show. What do you think this ultimately turns into, Dwayne? Because right now you could argue this is being set up to be the first real committee of Sean McVay's entire time in Los Angeles. Yeah, and I think that's why it's the question because, you know, Akers goes in round four, you know, of drafts. Round three in home leagues. If you're in, in, in you know, some of these high stakes leagues, people will let him slip into the fourth round. But if you're drafting on ESPN right now, like he's a round three, you know, ADP. And so the, I just start to... We really like we like Acres. We, we're not going to hold you know it against him that look he didn't look great coming off the injury at the end of last season. None of the Rams backs looked really good in the playoffs over that stretch. So you got to take that context into consideration. But at the same time, I just I do wonder like are we just potentially overrating like where Acres you know how strong we feel about Acres you know as the every down back. Hold on, um, Dwayne. Did you see his one handed catch on air at practice the other day? <laughs> I didn't. I should probably go watch it though, right? Um, but it's, it's just with Henderson, like where he goes, man, like he doesn't go until round 13 and we're having to take acres in round three. I, I just wonder, is that too far apart? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Um, and so with acres, like, here's the thing you're getting access to a really good offense. Um, and we don't know how the roles are going to shake out. So like acres, like say acres took over all the early down work. That's okay. in an offense like this, Ian, we don't want that. If you play on the Jags, we don't want the early down back. If you're on the Rams, and you're the early down back, and you get the carries inside the five, you could argue that might be worth even more than what you get as the receiving back on the Rams because they're going to throw plenty to Cooper Cup. They're going to throw plenty to Allen Robinson. Tyler Higby's going to work in. Van Jefferson was really didn't really demand a lot of targets anyway, but you got OBJ gone. So, yeah, there's room to get them more involved in the passing game. But if you had to pick one role or the other for the Rams, I would probably lean to, well, okay, give me acres. He could maybe score 12 to 15 touchdowns, but what that we don't know, like the way McVay said it, you know, his exact quotes there really made me think, well, is it just a rotation period? They both get passing downs. They both get, you know, some work inside the five. We don't clearly know who has what, like, and if that's the case, like, even if it's like 55, 45 for acres or 60, 40, it almost makes me just want to take Henderson at the ADP more again. It's a, it's a tricky one. So we'll have to continue to, to keep an eye on it, you know, injuries can play a role in this sort of thing. You know, you mentioned it like it is, we've seen him use the workhorse. So at least if you do put the chip on acres, you know that the upside is there despite the comments that we've seen. You do wonder too. And I was a day three pick fifth round Kyron Williams, but like taking that sort of running back that it, you know, is only going to be a pass catching specialist. It's like what we talked about in Las Vegas. Like it wasn't just the type of running backs. It was the type of running backs that McDaniels brought in the specific pass catchers that give us more cause for concern in regards to the committee. So Henderson has just, again, I we've talked about him and the uh, handcuff tiers, like him and Michael Carter, like have, more potential for standalone value than guys are going behind. And I think they have very similar uh, best case handcuff upside. So still love Henderson where he's going. Always have. Acres. I think Henderson gets the better uh, best case upside, right? Than Carter though, just because the offense yeah. he plays in. Like if yep. for some reason Akers goes down, like you're playing with an elite group versus a team that could be losing. I agree with that. But Cam Akers, when he's going around four, though, I'm still not going to completely shy away. I still think when he's. I'm going- with you. I'm with you. I've just tapped the brakes a little bit on him. Like, because he was someone I wasn't overweight on or anything, but when a build worked a certain way and I wanted to start with three wide receivers, I, I didn't mind Cam Akers in the fourth round. You know, I'm like, hey, I get access to the Rams. He could score 12 touchdowns. Um, and I think that's still the case, right? Um, you know, just have to monitor it some more. 
Minnesota Vikings. Dwayne, you were wondering who is the slot receiver in the Vikings offense. I'm not trying to steal your thunder here, but I actually have a lot of good information on this because I had another podcast with Matthew Collar and the Purple Insider today. So actually asked Matthew specifically if there's a plan for KJ Osborne or Adam Thielen to be in the slot. You know, I did my rant that I've done on here numerous times about just the audacity of Don't people who obsess the over the uh, Cooper Cup role and overrating the slot in general. Um, Matthew's point was that he thinks they're going to rotate the guys throughout the slot. So I don't think there's going to be one single receiver stuck in the slot. Jefferson, Thielen, and Osborne should all see plenty of time. The good news is, Dwayne, we talked all about this in our Minnesota Vikings preview. I mean, this is an offense that has regularly been one of the lowest offenses in terms of 11 personnel. For those that don't know, we're talking one running back, one tight end on the field. Now they're going with Kevin O'Connell seemingly into a scheme that's going to have the most 11 personnel. We're also getting good clarification from beat reporters, notably RF, always doing awesome stuff over at The Athletic. RF said, for that third receiver role, it looks like KJ Osborne has sewn it up. So with that information, Dwayne, Thielen, Osborne, who are we liking? I mean, if it is KJ Osborne's role, I think that's good. He should go where he's going, right? He should be more of a late round pick in your home leagues. But Adam Thielen is still, you know, got to be the favorite to be the wide receiver two on the team. Yeah, he's 32 years old. Yes, he has declined a little bit. But, you know, I've been doing a lot more research on the older receivers here lately. And, you know, look, even though some of them and I don't have all the advanced PFF data going way back on some of these guys to see like how predictive like it would have been around some of them. Maybe they maybe some of these receivers I'm about to name to you didn't experience the same decline that Thielen did. And some of these underlying metrics like yards per route run, targets per route run, these sort of things. Part of it is also you're just playing with a badass named Justin Jefferson. So it's going to happen. So there's a lot of factors to it. But at the end of the day, like there are a lot of receivers that even at 34, you know, have had really huge seasons. Um, So Thielen isn't quite in the tier of some of those elites. Like when you go back and look at like the Jerry Rice's, you look at the dude Terrell Owens. And I'm a huge Cowboys fan. I didn't remember T.O. being 33 when he came here and went off for, you know, 15 touchdowns and 1300 yards. That's insane to me. Yeah, I didn't you know, know so, he was that old. I thought he was still maybe like yeah twenties, but I, yeah. then then thirty four. The next season did it again at thirty four years age. Thirty four years, not quite the same. So, um, you know, it's a bit of good news for for players like who and ha- and you know, shout out to Adam Harstead. You know, because I had been looking at data back to two thousand eleven. He had hit me up on Twitter like a month ago and said, "Hey, you ought to really go back and look." at a lot of the players that are, were even older. It wasn't as bad. Like the drop offs weren't as bad, and I didn't hadn't done that before because i didn't have all the other pff data to really look at it with but still like it's it's still helpful right all i when i went and looked i was like holy crap look at all these guys and for whatever reason in my mind i I wasn't thinking that some of these guys like i knew jerry rice played till he was 40 like we all know that but some of the there were so many other names and so um i was interested to see if Thielen could play in the slot and still hope that that would come to fruition because we have seen that really bolster some late late you know, uh, you know, career resurgences like Larry Fitzgerald, Reggie Wayne. We saw it with Heinz Ward back in the day. So I would still love to see that for Thielen. And he would be the person I would hope most if they did decide on a slot receiver. I think he has the most to potentially gain from that. But at the end of the day, as long as he's out there, um, you know, he's a high end wide. He's high end mid range wide receiver three for me if they're going to be rotating all the guys through. Also sad news, but not the worst news. Vikings tight end Irv Smith underwent thumb surgery, but head coach Kevin O'Connell expects him to be ready for the start of the regular season per Adam Schefter. So not ideal. I would like my tight ends who we would 
obviously prefer to be able to catch the football, not to be, you know, breaking their thumb a month before the season starts. But luckily, Dwayne, it does seem like he'll be out there sooner rather than later. Are, are you adjusting any ranks because of the Irv news or maybe just slightly more hesitant to kind of pull the trigger? That's how I feel. I think slightly, but at the same time, like I, overall, nothing has changed. Yes, I'm with you. I would rather they're installing a new offense. I want him to be out there. <laughs> you know, I want him to be getting in rhythm, you know, with cousins on all the route concepts and combos are going to be running and all that kind of stuff. It matters, especially for someone like Kirk Cousins, who is not an off script playmaker, right? He is designed to drop back, read the defense, get the ball out. You know, he's, he's reading the defense and getting the ball out. And so he's got to be able to trust whoever's out there. So to just totally dismiss it, I don't think we can do that. But at the end of the day, I'm not really going to move him down because, again, like when I start looking below him, <laughs> you know, I'm like, who am I moving him below? <laughs> who am I going to move him below? That becomes the challenge. So I think maybe the sharper way for us to think about it would be we just don't have to pull the trigger quite as quite as high. Because, yeah. look, when especially, guys, when you're on these websites, then you're drafting from platforms that say out next to their name right now. It, it dude it's a psychological killer for people they cannot get over the mental hurdle they just see out and they're like oh my god oh my god like they're not <laughs> thinking this is five weeks away they're just thinking he's out i can't take him and so i think what will probably happen is we get a slight dip in adp and we can just get irv smith at a lower cost one quick uh injury i forgot to mention for the Los Angeles Rams, we did get word that Van Jefferson is going to have minor knee surgery. Sean McVay said he's not sure if he'll be ready for week one. McVay notoriously always keeps his injury information very close to the vest. Did get clear, though, uh, did get some words from Jordan Rodriguez in The Athletic. She said, it's pretty clear based on watching how the staff is replacing Jefferson's snap share while he's been out there these last few days that the number three receiver role will be filled by a committee of young players. Tutu Atwell floated out as a name. Jacob Harris, you know, everyone's favorite tight end last year, now is officially converted to a wide receiver. Catch up fantasy sites. I do not want to deal with this wide receiver tight end bullshit going on with Jacob Harris. He's a wide receiver. Mark him as that right now. Make it happen. Either way, it's just more, more targets for Allen Robinson and Cooper Cup. I don't think that. Van Jefferson was going to make much of an impact in their workload in the first place. So with that out of the way, Dwayne, the New Orleans Saints, I, I think you ask a, a great question here, man. There's a lot of great tight ends in this league. I think we have a pretty clear top five, but you know, Chris Herndon tight end six overall. It, it's a bold <laughs> question of you, Dwayne, but uh, you know, it's the question that people want to know. Yeah. Um, if Michael Thomas were, Chris Herndon, that would be my question here. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, if Chris Herndon's going to be healthy, Ian, like there's no doubt that there's no way Taysom Hill or Adam Troutman can compete. We probably need to le at least put him next to Dallas Goddard, right? You know, high end, you know, tight end, low end, low end, tight end one with high okay, end. Okay, you, you, you've entertained my bullshit enough. Thank okay, you. Yeah. Sorry, folks, we're ahead. just kidding. So we probably just had like multiple people tune out now. Oh, so sorry. Uh, hopefully someone didn't get like cut off in the middle of that. That was just first time listening to fantasy thing and drafting tomorrow. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, so my, Michael Thomas. They just went 50 minutes into this podcast and they're like, what the hell is wrong with What the hell, guys? yeah. So Michael Thomas, look, just can he make it through camp healthy? Like we've, we've already got the first indicator. Didn't start the camp. Didn't, you know, he did technically start, you know, without practicing, but now he's been practicing and can he just stay out there? And overall, like, again, talking about videos, Ian, but just good to see him moving around. Like I'm not a doctor. I can't tell you exactly what I see with my, I see a dude out there running routes, you know, um, catching footballs. So that's better than not. 
And if Michael, if Michael Thomas can stay healthy again, his ADP um, has not really moved that much, even since this news that he's actually going to be playing, like it started to move up a little bit, but people are definitely not overreacting. So I think there's still some value here. Um, and it's a situation where if, if, if Michael Thomas is fully healthy, where do you think he should be going? Like by the time we're drafting in September, to me, it's probably it, you could argue round five, but I think round six for sure is where you should be taking Michael Thomas. And right now, over on FFPC, that's where he's going. Sometimes you get him still in round seven. Love that. And man, again, we don't care so much about what's exactly going on play by play in the practice, but pretty good to see every single Saints beat reporter just saying, like, it looks like Michael Thomas hasn't missed a beat. He seems to be out there, you know, new optimism on life out there. He's out there, man. That's all we wanted to see. And that so far is going good. And I did a I did a projection range on him. If people want to see it, you can go check the article out. But basically, I gave you three scenarios, you know, a significant drop in routes and targets due to declining skills. Um, for Michael Thomas, that could happen, right? And he has more target competition than ever. You've got Chris Olave, first round pick. They spent a ton to get in the end. And then you also have Jarvis Landry, who we know gets targets. And then you have Alvin Kamara. We don't know for sure what's going to happen there. Um, we'll talk about that here in a second. But then the mid range is really just a small drop in routes or targets due to more target competition. But let's say his skills are overall okay, right? And then there's the high end, which is we get peak Michael Thomas. And for whatever reason, all these other weapons struggle, you know, and I think a lave would be the main one you would think, okay, a rookie could struggle, kind of know what Jarvis Landry is at this point, right? You know what Kamara is, but maybe Kamara suspended and a lave struggles. And if Michael Thomas is all of a sudden in peak form, like there's a big upside there, you know, for the targets. I, I mean, I'll just leave it at, I've got his median at 121 right now, um, based on looking at his historical data and what could potentially happen here. And that's actually giving him a reduction from his historical numbers, um, the 121. But, you know, I think there's some decent upside still um, for Thomas, depending on the way things break. Two other quick notes. Taysom Hill did not open up on the pop list coming back uh, from the Liz Frank injury, which was good news. And then hurts his ribs, and now he's out indefinitely with some issue going on there. So not exactly sure when Taysom is going to be back, expecting a tight end committee of sorts between him and Adam Troutman. Hell, who knows? Maybe, just maybe, Chris Herndon go gets a few snaps too. I kind of doubt it, though. Nick Vanette, probably the next guy up if I had to put my objective hat on. Dwayne, we did get big news, though, about Alvin Kamara. His court hearing got postponed 60 more days. He will now not be heard until September 29th. Again, remains a somewhat fluid situation. There is apparently video out there. We know how the NFL likes to respond to things more quickly once they face public pressure. At this point in time, though, and shout out to PFF Brad for this uh, information. So the court hearing is not even going to happen until September 29th. He's going to have a chance to appeal whatever happened. We don't even know if a decision is going to be made in 29th. Probably not the way court things go. Like, my God, Dwayne, like, I, I pay so little attention, like, to actual news and, like, politics and shit like that. But I remember, um, I think it was, like, during the impeachment stuff going on where it was like, hey, we got we made this major ruling, you know, two weeks from now. Like, we're going to have a this, this sit down now in a court and, like, we're going to really figure things out because, you know, we need to let everyone have their vacation. You know, most important people in our country, of course, they can't work, you know, during the holidays. That's just for, you know, people like us, Dwayne. So always laughable to me how we have these important issues in the court and just how long and drawn out. Just no sense of urgency ever. And it's like, oh, yeah, go, you know, take your extra Monday off. For Memorial Day too. Like, let's not, God forbid, these people uh, work a little bit harder. But 
That aside, Dwayne, PFF Brad noted that Deontay Harris slash Hardy appealed his suspension last year. He played until the appeal process concluded, and then later that year did get the late year suspension. So does seem like the NFL is content to not hand down any suspensions until the entire process is concluded. At this point, are you willing to treat Alvin Kamara as if there is zero suspension risk for 2022? I don't think you can treat him with zero just because we still have this potential time bomb of, you know, the video floating around out there and the NFL could get their hand forced. So I think that's still the wild card. I think the other potential wild card is what if the, and you know, this is hat tip to Drew Davenport who did an update Um, yesterday. You guys can go check it out. Uh, He did a Twitter spaces on it. Um, And so just check out Drew on Twitter and you can listen to like the first 10 minutes. He basically sets up all of this and Deshaun Watson, then he takes questions from everybody. So um, the other, you know, thing that he threw out as a scenario that I hadn't really thought of, but it made sense as if for some reason the saints are not doing well, right? If the saints are losing games and all of a sudden Kamara later in the season, they could decide, let's go ahead and get this done this year. Right. You know, we're not going to, we're not winning any games. We're not going anywhere. Let's make sure that Kamara is available for next year. Um, And that could be a team thing where they want him to do that. Or that could just be an Alvin Kamara thing, right. That he could want to do. So I think that's the other potential thing, you know, to look at, you know, based on what Drew mentioned here, he said, there's no way to really make the case go away because you've got a victim, you know, that's involved and they have to, they have to work through that for the sake of the dick victim. This is not all about Alvin Kamara. Um, so, and Kamara doesn't really have any, you know, incentive right now to try to come to the table and do anything special because the, the season's almost here and he wants to play, you know, and the team wants him to play. So most likely if the saints were to remain really good, or at least it be competitive this year and nothing with the video comes out, you probably are not going to see Kamara, you know, do anything until next year was Drew's thoughts on it. Again, go listen to him. He's a legal expert, not me. Totally paraphrasing. Which leads us Dwayne, to the all important question. How are we adjusting the ranks? If there was zero risk, which there's not, I think Alvin Kamara, you could not really rank him worse than like seventh. I put him ahead of the Saquon, Fournette, Aaron Jones tier. I would too. As things stand right now, like Kamara versus Javante Williams. Um, I'm taking Javante. I, I will say I have mixed Kamara in a couple times over Javante because I have Javante so much. Yeah. But that's the range. I think that the Javante, ETN, Connor group. That's okay. the range where you can make the case that Kamara fits in. So guys like DeAndre Swift, Joe Mixon, Aaron Jones, still slamming them over Kamara. I think yeah, I'm, I'm still taking all those over. Okay. Good to know. Just got to, you know, get down and ask those tough questions sometimes. New York Giants can, Dwayne, you ask, Kadarius Tony secure the wide receiver two role. What about one? Should yeah, be one. Well, if he and what I mean is, can he just be on the field in two wide receiver sets? I probably that worded that question poorly. Um, and I think what we've heard so far is that's the expectation. He's going to play outside. He'll probably rotate around, get to do some different things. But Wandell Robinson has opened camp from the slot. Kenny Galladay is working opposite. They're playing in the starting three wide receiver sets. It is still early again, but. If you look at the Giants roster, I think that's what we would expect right now. So I don't think that's necessarily, you know, a surprise, but we needed the confirmation of it because here's the thing with Tony. If he can be out there for 85% of the routes, we know that he can be an elite player. Now, again, small sample size, only 201 routes last year. So he just barely made the cutoff of the 200 routes that we like to use, but 26% targets per route run, which is elite wide receiver one territory. We don't always see receivers parlay Um, small sample sizes like this into being able to carry that on. But here's my problem, Ian, is when I watch 
Kadarius Tony play. And then when I look at the numbers, they totally match. Like yep. whether you're a film bro, whether you're an analytics bro, whether you're a both bro, doesn't matter. Like it all looks good for Kadarius Tony. The only honestly question is, can he stay out of the coaching doghouse, stay healthy and just stay on the field? And I think if we know he's going to do that, man, I'm going to move him into wide, wide receiver three range. Like right now I've still got him as a high end wide receiver four. I've got him at the top of my tier four a, um, but if we feel really good, like, and this is still locked in in a week from now, it's just going to be so hard to not move him into that wide receiver three range because everything just looks good for Tony film analytics and he can pass the dude can do it all also star of training camp apparently has been rookie Juan Dale Robinson getting plenty of chances to run with the first team offense with Sterling Shepard still on the pup list coming back from that torn Achilles nice note from the athletic Tony and rookie wide receiver Wandale Robinson are truly being used as offensive weapons. It's notable that they start individual drills by taking handoffs from Jones with the running backs before joining the receivers to work on routes. We've looked at Arizona, Dwayne, and wondered about Rondale kind of getting the de facto running back usage stuff. Have we been looking at the Giants a little bit wrong? Like maybe Tony and Wandale can actually get a good chunk of this because Lord knows we don't really trust Matt Breida to carve out a role in this offense. He couldn't in Buffalo. He had a lot of chances to. I don't know how much this would change our overall projections. I think I want both Tony and and Wandale where they're going right now. I agree. And I think what this tells us mostly is maybe why they haven't really bothered with someone besides just Matt Breida. You know, Gary Brightwell, I saw a, a, a camp report today that Gary Brightwell is looking good. Ian. Oh. So if you can take that for what you want. Um, but at the end of the day, like if, if, if they need a bigger back, if Saquon went down, maybe Brightwell's in the mix. But to your point, like I think maybe this is telling us more of why they're not hyper concerned about who their RB2 is behind Saquon. Um, so yeah, I, I think there's a chance these guys get moved all over the formation and I like them where they're going. I, I love dude. Like I don't want to get multiple giants on every team, but it's hard because I love Saquon Barkley at ADP. I love, you know, he goes in the mid second round, sometimes falls to the end of the second round. I love Kadarius Tony at ADP, even in sharp leagues, Kadarius Tony, you can still get in round seven or eight. Ian, we got him in uh round nine the other Ooh. night. So anyway, no, no round 10. We got, we got Drake London in round nine. So looking at Tony, really like it. And then Wondell Robinson is a guy you and I have been talking about for what? Like two months, basically saying, look, guys, on purely on the fact that the guy was a nice second round pick alone, his gap is too far versus a lot of these other receivers that were taken in the second round. And so now that gap is starting to close. His ADP is rising. He is actually one of the three biggest risers right now, according to Fantasy Mojo over on FFPC, with the other one being George Pickens. And then the other one outside of that being Isaiah McKenzie. So those are your three. And again, these guys were really low. They were going near the end of drafts and 20 rounders. So they all, they all, and Julio Jones is the other one, obviously, but they had the most room to move up, you know? So um, again, people are warming and I still think they're affordable. Uh, you know, Tony's just, been sitting right around where he is and then Wandell, even though now like he's moved up two or three rounds he's still you can still get him in round 15 you can still get him in round 14 even of sharp drafts if you're in a home league you can still get Wandell robinson if you really want him with the last pick of your draft gary brightwell man i have a rule <laughs> i have a rule here so when you go to a player's pro football reference page shout out always love pro football reference 
they show you the play. You know, they have all the players' stats, like you know, your passing stats, your defensive stats. But obviously, they put your stats of like what you're what you're doing first. If you go to Devin Hester's profile, it's his return stats first. If you go to Tom Brady's profile, it'll show his passing stats first. When you go to Gary Brightwell's profile, it shows his defense and fumbles first <laughs> because the guy spent more time. He had eight tackles last year. He had two offensive touches. There's your training camp special team. Right That's there. hilarious. I didn't. You know what? I've, I use Pro Football Reference. All the time, and for whatever reason, I've never noticed that what you just said. I am That's a I'm a Pro Football Reference Sabbath uh, man. I, I know all the abbreviations. The uh, Titans is actually OTI for some reason. Uh, the Rams, I think, is just Ram. There's some messed up ones. Ram. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals is Car, like C A R. They don't even make sense half the time, but I just still know them. <laughs> That's still my life. Has been. So it's kind of awesome because you have to you have to learn PFFs and theirs because we have like I, anytime oh I like God. say something about PFF and I'll be like, you know, Baltimore's BLT and like someone will immediately respond like I'm hungry BLT <laughs> like we're the only ones that say BLT. I think it actually comes from the NFL, but none of the TV networks do that. They do BAL Baltimore. I don't know what's worse having to adjust to the team abbreviations across sites or how different sites, you know, include the junior or Allen Robinson, the second, or, you know, John Mechie, the third different sites include them, different sites don't. And then it just becomes such a mess, but it's okay. Dwayne, good problems to have uh, in our line of business, I guess. So Philadelphia Eagles, the big question here, we got AJ Brown in town, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, a lot of pieces in play for Jalen hurts. Just how much, Will they be in play though? Because Dwayne last season saw two pretty starkly different versions of this Eagles offense. Yeah. So if you look at the Eagles over the first six games last year, um, they dropped back to pass on 72% of their plays. They opted to throw the ball above the league average in every game script. So this wasn't just due to, you know, trailing, um, but in trailing scripts by four or more points um, and those plays plus 8% versus the NFL average in games where they're within three points, 67%, which is plus 7% versus the NFL average. Now, when they did manage to lead early on by four points or more, they were 3% below the league average and dropping back the pass. But after six, it just really shifted dramatically. And we saw them, when trailing by four or more points, drop to 55%. Remember, 78% in the first six games. After that, 55%. And that's not even passes, Ian. That's, so that's dropbacks, meaning it could have turned into a scramble. Not even all of those turned into passes. And so that's minus 15% versus the NFL average. Within three points, 49%. That's minus 11% versus the league average. So imagine you're in a close game. You actually are opting to run the ball more than you're even opting to drop back. Again, those could turn into scrambles, sacks, all those other things you're actually running the ball more than doing that. And then when leading by four points or more, um, again, wasn't as big of a Delta. Uh, they were minus 4%, you know, versus what the league average is. So um, actually, sorry, plus 4% on that one. I got that number wrong. So they were actually, yes, yes, sorry. That was a drop back rate. They were minus 4% versus the NFL average. They had been minus 3% in the first six, in the first six games. So every single game script. And so, it, you know, we don't know for sure what they're going to do. You're hearing a lot of mixed reviews. You hear some people say, look, they're going to continue to go with what works because it worked last year. But then you're like, well, dude, you added AJ Brown. Uh, you kind of cleared the deck here for Dallas Goddard, you know, with Zach Ertz moving on. You spent a first round pick last year in Devonte Smith. Um, really? I mean, are we really sure? Like, so I I'm thinking it's going to be somewhere in between, but as much information as we can get here, it really does matter because AJ Brown 
is an amazing player, but you got to take him, you know, sometimes at the end of the second round to the middle of the third round in your fantasy draft. So um, the talent is certainly there. We would never doubt AJ Brown's talent. Um, but to really uncap that big upside, like we need the Eagles to throw the ball more than what they did last year. So not quite as big of a deal for me with Devonta Smith and Dallas Goddard because their ADPs are better, right? You know, Devonta Smith, you're getting in round seven, uh, Dallas Goddard, you know, you're getting in round eight. Um, so, I mean, obviously it comes into play because you're going to weigh those guys against other, other offenses where maybe the talent profile is similar, but you think the other offense may throw the ball more then you're going to lean to some of those other options. So this one, I didn't just narrow it down to one player like training camp battle. I thought, really, this is the biggest question. If we could somehow like get some, get some sort of line on what we think this offense is going, and I don't know that we will, man, to be honest, because teams don't show you this kind of thing typically in preseason. They could come out and throw the ball 10 times in the, in the first quarter of a preseason game, and it only be uh, the 10 plays that Jalen Hurts plays, and they did it just because they wanted to see what the passing offense looks like. It doesn't mean they're going to throw the ball, you know, that much. So this one, I think we will need to depend again on that kind of drum beat from, we compare it together with what we see in preseason, but we really need the help from the beat reporters to really help us dig this story out. One non-issue out of Eagles camp is Miles Sanders. He got a couple reps with the second team. It's fine. Nick Sirianni came out and said, quote unquote, it just so happened to be the way that the numbers worked out a little bit, but miles was in with the ones as well. Miles is our guy. There is no secret. Miles is our guy and we like to rotate our backs, but he's the guy. Yeah. Yeah. They do rotate the backs. They'll continue to rotate the backs. Don't over freak out on one move. Everyone miles Sanders, not the happiest guy lately, Dwayne. He comes out and he says, don't pick me in fantasy football. And then he basically told the reporters to like put some respect. He said he wants to earn some respect. And they were like, what's that mean? And he said, like, not being called a second string running back in their articles, basically. So Miles Sanders, a little bit of a chip on his shoulder this year. Hey, I, I just hope he scores early in the season because if that man has to go much longer without finding the end zone, not going to be a happy camper. Talk some more running backs, though, Dwayne. San Francisco 49ers. Lord knows we can't really take much information we're hearing from these beat reporters. Uh, can't put too much value behind that in regards to this backfield. Still, obviously, though, a very important situation for us to wrap our collective heads around ahead of the season opener. We know Elijah Mitchell should get the first crack as the RB1. Behind that, though, remains a bit of a mystery. Yeah, and we got some reports this week that even, you know, Mitchell actually had off-season knee surgery, was even more banged up than maybe what we knew. And he missed some time last year. And, you know, they talked about just wanting to keep him healthy and just not wanting to overwork him. So that's factor number one. Then you have factor number two. They had Tyrion Davis-Price with a third-round draft pick. And that's quite a bit for a team that can pretty much run the ball with anyone. And you're going to go spend the third-round pick. Now, you could argue they did that with Trey Sermon last year. But maybe they wanted Trey Sermon to be the guy inside the tackles, and Sermon just struggled. You know, um, we'll we'll see what Sermon can do this year. I know he's apparently quote unquote yoked, and so I think Shanahan just basically said we'll see where he's at. But mm, you've got another third round pick spent here, and so I feel like there's, and to your point, it's tough to really decipher this. You know, because the team just really doesn't share. I think there's a lot of smoke screens going on with this team, but I think if you look back early. Right after the draft, you know, and even heading into like the mini camps and stuff, we heard from Anthony Lynn on Tyrion Davis-Price, and this was his quote. We liked his size, his speed. We just thought he could bring an element to the game that maybe we don't have right now, the physicality part. And so when you hear something like that, it sounds like these are complementary players, right? It sounds like they're going to both be involved. I think it would still be the chip to put on is Elijah Mitchell leading the way. 
but it could be closer than what we think, Ian. And now factor in the last thing, Kyle Shanahan, like, is there anyone more fickle no. about his running back rotation than Kyle Shanahan? No, there's not. No. <laughs> so I'm sorry. Like, it's really tough to get my arms around Elijah Mitchell at this point, now knowing all these other pieces of information. And honestly, I don't think we're going to learn any more on this one. <laughs> so I know I have it on here and it's any question I put here though, would have been the same thing, right? <laughs> you know, what are, what are we going, you know, what question, whatever question I ask, like we'd have to wonder, are we really going to get an answer? And that's true for all these teams that we know it'd be particularly tricky for the 49ers. So the more and more, man, I really think about this, the, the more and more I'm like, you know what, just give me Tyrion Davis price and round 11, round 12 of fantasy drafts probably going to avoid Elijah Mitchell in round five. I have not been getting much Elijah Mitchell at all. I'm with you on the TDP hype continuing to get going. Debo Samuel also locked down back in training camp. Good to see. Great day to be great. Great day to make a lot of money if you're Debo Samuel. And we kept the best entrance in the entire NFL together. Debo, Trent Williams, absolute swagger hounds walking out to Super Gremlin with the boombox guy. Can't wait to see more of that this season. Interesting note, though, in the contract, though, Dwayne, no, it's not an independent study clause. It's a running back clause. Additional $1.95 million over the life of the contract for rushing yards and rushing touchdowns. Debo will receive $650K per year for each year. He has 380 or more rushing yards. Also 150 k if he scores three rushing touchdowns in any one year. Do you think did you see did you see Kyle Shanahan's uh, quote on that? Somebody asked him about it, and he said Debo earned this contract by being an, basically an all around good player, and this contract's going to pay him to continue to be so. Basically, so are we think so, <laughs> second half usage. I don't know that we'll get second half, but I think basically that's Kyle Shanahan's hand saying like, "Look, we're gonna we want to give the guy a big contract, but if we need to use him that way, we're going to, and and but we want to reward him for it, which I think is fair, you know, so." Um, you know, it doesn't necessarily help Debo, right? If he takes a lot of wear and tear between the tackles and that shortens his career. But at the end of the day, it's all on the table now. And so that's another thing to factor in with Elijah Mitchell. Because one thing we thought about with Mitchell is, you know, he really is more the jet guy. Who says he can't maybe catch some, you know, passes out of the backfield if they work Tyrion Davis Price in to be more the, the between the tackles, you know, banger. But now if we also know you're still going to have to deal with Debo being open to being back there, you know, in the backfield, you know, whenever they're in third downs, it just just makes it that much more tricky, man. And look, I've seen the splits weeks one through nine pre high running back usage, 21.2 PPR points per game for Debo weeks 10 through the NFC championship, 20 PPR points per game. What's the difference? He needs to be like one of the best players in the entire league in order to do what he did in the second half of the season. He only had 12.7 expected PPR points per game when he was mostly working as an RB, 17.1 otherwise. So yeah, he was smashing in both roles, but we want those targets, Dwayne. We don't really give a shit about those carries. And yeah, okay, if Debo's going to average over six yards per carry and have the best, you know, advanced metrics we've seen since like prime Marshawn Lynch, then okay, I guess he'll be fine much easier to hang your hat on those targets than some of these rush attempts. That's going to be a very important storyline to get to because, you know, Brandon Ayuk, if we see that second half usage, Ayuk is the value right now and Debo's the one that's overpriced. Some could say the opposite of what we were looking at this time last year. Seattle Seahawks, got to look at this backfield. Chris Carson did retire officially out there, so he's out of the picture. Uh, truly one of the more fun players to watch at the position that I can remember in recent memory. And I'm not that old. So I'll just go ahead and say one of the more fun running backs that I have ever watched play professional football, leaving us Rashad Penny, Kenneth Walker, DJ Dallas, Travis Homer, 
uh, Dwayne, Rashad Penny is up to 237 pounds, but it's good. This weight change is good. I've been told it's good. Uh, no red flags there, apparently. All hijinks aside, what do you think about this backfield and what's coming through? We did get some reports before training camp that, unfortunately, not looking all that likely that either Rashad Penny or Kenneth Walker are going to be in contention for the pass down role specifically. Yeah. Um, and I, that's kind of my take on it. Like, you know, we want to know, can either one of them claim an every down role? And I think most likely not, you know, what we're hearing is not only is it them sharing carries, but keeping these other guys involved, like you just mentioned in the passing down work. I mean, that seems to be kind of the drumbeat, right. That we're hearing right now. And so I think the challenge is, you know, you used to be able to get penny, you know, three or four rounds after Kenneth Walker. And at that point, like it was fine. You could take a stab on it. Um, but now they're really close in ADP. Um, and I've actually seen two drafts in a row now where someone has taken them back to back in round six and seven. I can't tell you if there's anything that I like less than that maneuver uh, in a fantasy football draft. But setting that aside, I think it's just going to be a challenge because we've got an offense right now that's projected for, you know, what is it, four and a half wins right now. Um, we've got a brutal quarterback situation brewing. I, I pray that Drew Locke can just be awesome so that, Ian, you know, you can do your dance. And he is fun. Drew Log is very fun to watch. Right now, it sounds like it's more Geno Smith leading the way. Um, so it's just tough, man. And they're going to play against all these other good offenses. They're going to play against everybody in the NFC West, all quality. Then they got to play the AFC West. I'm just, I struggle to find games where I really think they're going to be able to stay in these game scripts. You brought it up before. Yeah, Pete Carroll, maybe we diss him too much. He finds some sort of way to tape this thing together. And, you know, find a way to win seven games, but keep things close, right? And in the other games, I think the challenge is historically when he's done that, I don't know that he's had this kind of schedule where he had to play Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Derek Carr, Matthew Stafford. Uh, you know, who am I leaving out here? Well, the 49ers aren't, you know, we've got questions, but still a good offense, you know, for the not 49ers. And then you got Kyler Murray. So it's just, it's going to be tough, man. It's going to be really tough. And so with all the questions, I'm just, I'm avoiding this unless, the only way I wouldn't is if we somehow really got confirmation that it was just going to be one guy or the other just running away with a the job. Then at the ADP they're at now, you could make that, you know, something where you could be like, okay, maybe they could come through. I, I just, I find it tough to believe we're going to get that kind of confirmation without an injury. So Dwayne, you're saying you don't want like a pigeon hold early down running back in a terrible offense that doesn't have <laughs> a best case scenario. Bold move, my friend. Talent, we like the talent for both players. At least they have that. Absolutely. You know, so, so we have some players that don't have even that and they end up in a situation like this. So they, they technically do check a box. Um, but yeah, I'm exactly. You could have just summarized for me and we would have saved everybody like five minutes of their life. DK Metcalf is signed in the Seattle, uh, you know, in Seattle's future plans for at least the next three years. And he is back practicing. So no concerns coming off that offseason foot surgery would note that, you know, probably don't need to note it, but the Eskridge is out with a hamstring injury. So Freddie Swain, Looking like the number three wide receiver in Seattle. If you're trying to impress uh, someone on a first date, maybe drop that little bit of knowledge right there. Two more teams here, everyone. Thanks as always for sticking with us. Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Dwayne, it's like, again, we got the Julio Jones signing. We've already talked about that um, at length and everything. Unfortunately, Bucs center Ryan Jensen hurt his knee. He's expecting to miss, quote-unquote, significant time. Uh, Lenny is no longer fat. Russell Gage apparently has been uncoverable. Buck Howard, USFL superstar, is in the Tampa Bay tight end room. All that has happened. None of that is as important as Chris Gobb and somehow avoiding the pup to start the year. Now, 
what we need to find out is exactly what that means for his week one availability. Because as we've heard, you know, around the league, teams have different kind of opinions on uh, not opinions. Teams have different processes for how they're going to handle guys on or not on the pup list. Yeah. I mean, that's the perfect way to lead in. Just what really do they think about Godwin? Um, when do we really think like he's going to be back and really, you know, booming? I, I and I say even booming, just going to be able to be on the field, right? For like, you know, 80% of, of the routes, you know, is that like week five or six, but he's going to play a limited role earlier in the season? Do they think that could happen week one? Because those things, they just matter a lot. They tell us two things. One, um, they tell us really where they think Godwin is in his recovery. Right. And so that means the the better, the further along he is in his recovery now, the better chance we see some shape or form of Chris Godwin that we were used to by the end of this season. That affects Chris Godwin's ADP. That affects what we think about Mike uh, Evans, you know, and how soon he'll have to have, you know, stronger target competition for a lot of those looks we thought maybe he would get most of early in the season. Obviously, it impacts, you know, all the other guys that you mentioned. Um, but I think the other part is, you know, if we know that, you know, Godwin's only going to be out there 50, 60 percent, you know, of the time early on. Um, then there's still more room, right? For that tells us, okay, maybe he's not quite, you know, where they think it's still better than starting the season on the pup. Right. But at the same time, like there's some range in there of what we think that's going to look like. And that's what I would like to try to figure out again. Don't know that we'll get that kind of information because teams don't always, they're not always forthright, you know, with injury kind of stuff. So I think, you know, we'll have to try to see what we can decipher, but at the end of the day, I've already moved Mike Evans down, uh, not too far, but just, I think God, God went ahead of where we thought, you know, right now where we were coming into this uh, preseason was probably not going to play until late October or early November. He seems to be ahead of that schedule, at least, you know, right now, again, maybe we get a curveball and, and he's not. Um, then you get the addition of Julio Jones, which again, going back and looking at all these older receivers that produce, this is age 33 for Julio. Now he has not been able to stay healthy, but I think if you look at the who's who's list of these receivers, that have actually gone on to have some of these big seasons later in their career. Like Julio's certainly in the mix of being similar he's not, to these players. He's not the clown in that like me yeah, all the soldiers. Exactly. Like, he's a soldier. He's a soldier. He's a soldier. And so, uh, and again, seeing some of these guys that did it at age 35 and seeing Julio's 33, I'm almost like, crap, maybe, maybe I'm underestimating Julio's ceiling, you know, in this offense. So it's still just enough with Julio being added that it's at least, you know, we've already talked about the fact that he wasn't washed with Tennessee when he was out there and he was healthy. His underlying metrics still looked good. He didn't have a good fantasy finish, but the underlying data points tell us that Julio was still good. We've got, you know, some of these really great receivers that are older that have performed well. So at the end of the day, like, I think this just means that we have to be a little more cognizant with the way we're handling Evans, obviously more cognizant with the way we're handling Russell Gage. And if we can get our arms around what it really does mean for Godwin, I think it can help us just really determine like, are we okay still being a little bit more aggressive, you know, with Evans, you know, or do we maybe need to move him down a little bit more and then vice versa with these other receivers. And, and again, what do you do with Chris Godwin? This thing is like, this has ripple effects across everything. It's Godwin, it's Evans, it's Julio, it's Russell Gage. I mean, it's, it impacts all of them. He dropped in first right now, Michael Thomas or Chris Godwin, Girl Scout saunters up to your door. I have Chris Godwin ranked one spot ahead, but it's a really good question. Um, because Thomas is already healthy and playing. Godwin's the younger player. Again, this is why this is so important. Maybe right now today, the best answer is Michael Thomas. But if we were get confirmation that we think he could be, you know, that he really is probably going to be full strength by week four or five, I'd probably go ahead and lean to Godwin, you know, because he's the younger player. And by the end of the season, maybe we get 
a closer version of what we saw with Godwin at the end of last year um, and an offense that's going to throw more with Tom Brady at the quarterback. I have Godwin one spot behind, so we are very much okay, right yeah. in that same range right there. Last team here, the Washington Commanders. So talk the backfield, another situation where it's, don't hate the player, hate the freaking running back committee that their coach continues to insist on using in the year 2022. Last year, Dwayne, it was hard enough to get by with Antonio Gibson with J.D. McKissick, and they're taking all the pass down work. McKissick has not gone anywhere. Gibson still projects as a starter, still projects as the lead back. The concern is that his rushing pie now could also potentially be smaller than ever. Yeah, because we have, you know, the addition of Brian Robinson and the third round out of Alabama, Ron Rivera's actually already come out and said, yeah, I remember when I had D'Angelo Williams and I had, you know, uh, Jonathan Stewart, you know, it's like, here we go again. Like you yeah, realize that you don't you, have D'Angelo Williams and Jonathan Stewart, right? And you, you had do Cam Newton <laughs> and you had Cam Newton out there and you still found a way to get Mike freaking Tolbert the ball at the goal line. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. What a reminder. I remember the Tolbert, you know, sniping Ryan Matthews. Now I got to go back and remember that too. Yeah. Wow. That was nasty anyway. Uh, but again, like just another data point there with the coaching staff. Um, and look, the big thing is they brought JD McKissick back. The bills thought they had him sign and then Washington made a last second, you know, maneuver to try to get him back and they got him that they care about him. They want this guy to be their passing down back. So that's a big problem for Gibson. Gibson, look, his profile is not bad. We know that he can be a receiving down back. But now, we like last year, you're not going to get the two-minute offense. J.D. McKissick is going to get that. And it's not just sharing the early down work that worries me, Ian. What if the guy that they think can pound it between the tackles, which is basically what we've heard from the offensive coaching staff, also gets the carries inside the five? That was kind of Gibson's out last year. Was it even though we never got the passing down role, except in the games where we were without, you know, McKissick, and it was beautiful. We loved it. But anyway, moving on, he was able to at least score touchdowns because he got the carries inside the five. What if those, man, what is Antonio Gibson worth in a fantasy draft if he doesn't have the passing down role or the carries inside the five? And I don't think like he could be of- an absolute bust, like complete bust. And look, I've talked up Carson once as not the worst quarterback in the NFL. Like that's my overarching stance there, you know, really going out on a limb there, Dwayne. But I don't think it's going to be an offense just exactly marching down the field inside the five yard line every time either. I mean, you can look at Antonio Gibson, like Josh Jacobs is probably in a similar position, but I'd way rather have exposure to the Raiders offense over freaking whatever Washington's going to be putting out there on the field at this point. But direct quote from Ron Rivera, basically summarizing a lot of what you said. Talking about Brian Robinson, he's a big, strong, powerful downhill runner, more so than anything else. He does have a little bit of shake to him. Antonio's a little more elusive guy, more off the edge, where Brian, we can take it inside or we can take it off the edge. Like, just give him the CMC comp already, Ron. You've already called enough running backs, you know, that have gone through there pretty close to Christian McCaffrey. Are they going to play that pony-style offense? Oh, my God. What a <laughs> well, with AP, what a freaking time to be alive. Last thing. All right, a couple other things. Last, real last year, real quick, Ian, inside the five, 74% of Washington's carries went to Gibson. God. Like, that could be great. And that's how he was able to pay off and still give you a, you know, finish as the RB8, even in PPR formats. You know, points per game. 17, I think, per game. But Yeah, so seven. Yeah, I was looking at it. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So anyway, it's it, he didn't qu- finish quite as high in points per game. But he had that role. And so now I think all of it's in question. 
Last few things on Washington. Logan Thomas starting off the season on the pup. Antonio Gandy-Golden retired. Jahan Dotson absolutely rolling. You cannot read one Washington article without the beat writers talking about just how good he's been, and that goes all the way back to OTAs as well. Here's the interesting part here, Dwayne. Curtis Samuel. So he's he was out there practicing. He's seemingly over the groin issue, and there was even one play that the uh, Terry McLaurin came out and was like, oh, my God, that's the Curtis I saw at Ohio State, like making some dudes miss. Rivera did say part of the plan is to avoid what happened last year. Then again, Dwayne, he's not out there practicing today, and you start actually looking at what Ron Rivera's latest remarks are, and no, they don't want what happened last year to happen again. The problem is that they are now concerned about Samuel's conditioning and his ability to even practice. So at this point, from Rivera, as I get my handy-dandy quote pulled up here, Ron Rivera said, Curtis and trainer Abalemi uh, talked a little bit, and there was concern as far as just his overall football conditioning and shape. You can train all you want, condition all you want, but coming back and doing some of the things that we want him to do. That's not good, man. He's still not practicing. He's still barely able to go in position drills, and we're in August 2nd. Like, I, I don't know how you can use a late-round pick on Curtis Samuel at this point and feel good about it. Oh, okay. It, you can draft anyone around 17, I guess, and say like, it's fine. But I, I just think the answer is Jahan Dotson, man. I, I struggle to see Curtis Samuel being someone that we're like, damn, how did we not pick Curtis Samuel later? He's, he's yes. on the field. Yeah. So I, I, the main thing I think is just, it's distancing Jahan Dotson, <laughs> yeah. you know, for us, I think he's pretty much cemented in as the number two option in the offense now um you can still get him at a discount you know uh in fantasy draft so i'm not necessarily against taking curtis samuel you know with a late round pick just because we are still early um and i get it i get it like we would want him to be out there but like part of me is also like okay well at least it's good that they're not going to try to push him and, and like he has suffers a you know a further injury um so not optimal news but still a very talented player that can play a m- a multiple roles so there are a lot of outs for him um, and again, to your point, he's like a round 17 pick. He's around 16 picks. So in home leagues, you're probably not even drafting him and you'll, unless you're playing in a deeper format. Um, if you're playing over on something like the FFPC, you know, where you got 20 rounds, I think he's still fine to throw a dart because once you start getting down to that range and you're looking for like the number one thing, honestly, I'm looking for in those, I'm not looking at depth charts and who I just think has a role. I just want talent. Just keep giving me talent and let's see what happens. Maybe an injury happens to somebody else. Somebody, you know, maybe we're, this was an overreaction. And so he's still going to, you know, he checks some boxes that I want to see from a talent perspective. And if he's not going to be out there, you know, we can easily cut him, you know, early. So I would say you might feel a little more comfortable with him to your point in say a redraft format where you can cut bait, right. Versus, what you would deal with over in a best ball. So maybe that's the one, you know, uh, kind of caveat, you know, that I would give, or maybe you handle it a little bit differently. Um, so that's where I'm at. But again, it's not good. I'm, I'm totally with you. It's not good news. I could be that. overreacting. We don't want him to come back too quickly, but when this is overall football conditioning, what kind of freaking line is that to hear, man? Like I was hoping that, I don't know, the dude hasn't played football in a year. Maybe going out there and playing some more football <laughs> will help with that. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just a guy sitting. I hear. Head. I hear you, man. I I, I do hear you. Believe um, me, when I saw that, I was like, "Damn it!" I mean, but I don't think either one of us have been very high in the ranks, so no. there's probably nothing to do here. <laughs> this is the way I'm looking at it. 
All right, Dwayne, we have talked for three hours this lovely afternoon about the AFC and NFC training camps, you know, split it up into two podcasts. Otherwise, we'd be going over the three-hour mark again. That was a hell of a day earlier this offseason. We will also be back later tonight doing our second Football Guys Championship Draft, trying to take home that 500K. Again, people can find your PFF training camp storylines articles on pff.com funny how that works i've had some recent studies go out as well and yeah man i'm just kind of drained right now i'm I'm rambling here on the outro anything else you want to say recharge yeah no (laughs) folks can check out uh the top 10 um, options that you can get after round seven that dropped today um so covers across all the positions and then you can also get tomorrow the 10 options to pretty much avoid and a lot of this is adp not just necessarily player folks but 10 options to avoid um, by round, you know, before round seven, you know, in your draft. So one of them is players to target after round seven, you know, like these league winners. And one is, Hey, but also don't really mess yourself up taking these players in the first seven rounds. And so though that will be out tomorrow. And then obviously you and I, like we're going to connect later for a draft. Um, do you want to share our draft pick right now? Since this won't go out till later. Yeah. Yeah. What we got. Yeah. So we've got pick eight. We have pick eight tonight over at the FFPC and a football guys players championship. So can't wait for that. Ian, that's the best. We get to take all this stuff we've been doing. We get to put it all in play. Love it. Great day to be great. Can't wait for that. Make sure uh, for that edition of the podcast, you know, Hey, Watch these wherever you want, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes. I don't care. But the football guys drafts in particular, uh, just being able to see, you know, Dwayne's awesome draft guide, the cheat sheet that we kind of use throughout, being able to see the draft board. I think it helps enrich the experience. You know, Dwayne and I are drinking, having a good time throughout it as well. So grab a beer, grab six. It's a free country. You know, great day. It'd be great. For Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks so much for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody.